Holden versus Ford is dead, but not at the Bathurst 1000. Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is special episode number 211, Bathurst 1000 2021, Ford vs Holden lives. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James and joining me in looking at the last holdout of Australia's car culture heartland, our key contributor Steve and our fearless editor Mal. G'day James and Steve. We'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead via the time codes in the notes or click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's grid up for Bathurst 2021. Now, Steve, you authored uh, a story during the week, an interesting one as usual, and it's about the whole notion of the historical Ford versus Holden rivalry. In the marketplace, it's obviously gone away because one part of that component is no longer with us. But you're saying that Mount Panorama is the, the the last kind of holdout for that kind of Ford versus Holden because supercars is is still in that mode. Yeah, yeah. As you can see from the background, um, I am actually at this. Is, this is technically speaking a virtual background, but not actually virtual. That <laughs> that view is behind the wall behind me. So, uh, yeah, this is I guess this is the heartland of. Um, Holden versus Ford. You know the the rivalry. I just really like. Obviously, there was a there was already a rivalry in the showroom before they started racing, but the racing really was, I guess, cultivated it. Catalyst, right? That you know accelerated yeah. it and it intensified it, right? Like yeah. this is, yeah. you know, because of Bathurst, we have cars like the Falcon GT, you know, the V8 yeah. Monaro, um, yeah. V8 Tiranas. All that stuff came out of. Um, trying to win at Bathurst, you know, and that yeah. inspired, uh, you know, this whole, um, you know, yeah, the, like bitter feud between the two brands. You know? Now, um, Steve, you, you did make the point, I'll, I'll just expand on it, that both yourself and Mal are at Mount Panorama. So for those that may be uh, scratching their head, bear with us on the audio front. We've done our best. We've had to find um, spaces from which to participate in the in the podcast. Yeah. So just bear that in mind, please. It's, it's very much an experimental episode. <laughs> it is. Uh, it from is. all it corners. Is. It is. If you, if you do hear uh, loud noises, that is uh, racing cars going past about 20 feet from us. So. Yeah, I think Mal's in a facility where big deals are being done, obviously. There's um, you know serious talk, there you can see serious talk happening. Oh, I'm, I'm in the DJR corporate suite, uh, going okay. to glamorous this week, and uh, Steve's in a corporate fishbowl by the sound of things. I'm, I'm actually not in the corporate fishbowl. I'm actually in the, uh, I believe, the commentary booth, like one a spare commentary booth. I think for radio. Uh, okay. Not the TV Good. commentary booth, obviously. I'm not not a lot. Okay. I don't have you know. Yep. Neil Crompton and Mark Scaife alongside me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually just off the media centre, so I am sort of right deep Perfect. in the heartland. So as you were saying, dated as it is, there's a Commodore out there and there's there's a Mustang of sorts, um, as awkward looking as it has been uh, for the last little while. Yeah. So the Ford versus Holden continues around Bathurst. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's, it's also a Commodore of sorts. You know, this is kind of the problem with the rivalries is it was for the most part, uh, you know, it was, look, it was originally, it was Holden Monaro and then Tirana and, but, you know, for the longest period, it really was Commodore and Falcon. And obviously Falcon's gone and the Commodore that is here is really an Opal insignia. Like it's, it's, but it's also Tirana and Monaro and Falcon. Yeah, totally. I mean, you yeah. had, I mean, Monaro predated 
Tirana, did it not? And yes. then then you went into um, Commodore um, with Group A, and then you went into In Group C, precursor to yeah Group C. And there were also Sierras and you know Group A Mustangs, blah 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 blah. But yeah. Steve, you're right, predominantly Commodore and Falcon. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's, it. Right. that's you know the classic. Rivalry, right? Superman and Lex Luthor. You know, Superman has other villains, but Lex mm. Luthor is his arch nemesis. You know, Commodore and Falcon were the were the cars because they were the cars that uh, people had in their driveways. You know, that yeah. was that was also the the, the key uh, part of the touring car conflict because, uh, and I guess that's sort of the rivalry that we lost. You know, it was the schoolyard rivalry, it was the workplace rivalry. You know, the down at the pub with your mates yeah. rivalry, where you yeah. know it's like. Well, you've got a four. Well, guess what? Holden on Bathurst, too, vice versa. You know. Like, but do, how much? How much do you think of that, Steve? Was the teams and the drivers in that some of the classic matchups were, of course, Moffat, Brock, Brock Johnson. Um, you know, there were there were marquee drivers as it were for both brands. Um, those those teams are some of them are still kind of existing. Mal, you're uh, plonked plonked in one of them. But um, uh, is that is that much of a factor? Do you reckon? So I think obviously that that is less. You know, it's, it's ironic. I think the the quality of the drivers now is higher. You know, like uh, the, the quality, the consistency throughout the field is at a much higher level than it was during sort of the Brock and Moffat era. But they, you know, I mean, I would argue Jamie Winkup is retiring this weekend, and I would argue a lot of our viewers are not really familiar with his work, even though he's, you know, in my opinion, he's probably the greatest touring car driver, greatest. not only this country's produced, but probably one of the best touring car drivers in the history of the world. Hashtag, so, hashtag, yeah. hashtag goat. You know, it, yeah, it, like, you're right, but his profile is relatively small. Yeah, but he's not, yeah, he's certainly not, he certainly doesn't have the rocky level of uh, admiration legacy you know like yep. you know and I, I think i think that yeah the sport has has lost an element of that um mm. so it's interesting now you holden you know or holding going like it, it certainly does it certainly does change the complexion of the sport in, in a lot of ways well i suppose for a while there it looked like craig Lowndes would be the new peter brock in that he was a protege and, and brock had taken him under his wing um, and then he, he did a bit of chopping and changing between brands. And, um, you know, the Holden people felt he deserted them when he started driving a Falcon. And he went down a similar path to Peter Brock in a way. But um, now he's a part-time uh, supercar driver. Um, you're right. There's, there isn't that, you know, out there at the head of the pack kind of personality either. Yeah, I think the other thing too is... Uh, it was a big deal when Brock left Holden. You know, it was a, it was, you know, it was front page news. It was a really significant part of the Australian motoring landscape. Um, and it was a, it was a big deal when Lowndes left Holden, but probably maybe not, you know, front page newspaper stuff. But it was certainly a big deal within the sport. And now I think drivers are able to switch brands with relative ease. You know, there's no, you, you certainly have. Lost yeah, that look at Mark Winterbottom. Yeah. He has yeah. a career Ford driver. Now he's driving a, a ZB with Team 18. Well, even, even Jamie, you know, like Winkup, yeah. he, he swapped from the team, swapped from Holden to Ford, and he swapped with them. And yep. no, no one no one really batted an eye. It was just, it was just how it is. So, yep. you know, Will Davison, he, you know, um, he has written for Factory Holden and Factory Ford teams, you know, and, and again, no one really bats an eye. Like, it just is what it is. It's the way the sport is. Yeah. Kelly's yeah. went from Nissan to uh, Mustang. Yeah, well, Holden. They went from Holden to this. You know, Listen like to that was, you know, they were, Yeah, they were tied in the wall. You know, uh, 
Todd Kelly wearing, you know, he had a Chevrolet ring at one point, you know, like Chevrolet belt buckle. He was a, he was a you know, diehard Chevy guy. And well, he's, al- he's always had um, impeccable taste. I mean, in terms of his uh, sartorial elegance, I mean, a Chevrolet bow tie belt buckle that doesn't get much classier than that. What can you say? That's if anyone's ever had a bow tie yet. bow tie. <laughs> yes, nice. Um, so really, uh, we're on the cusp of a new era um, in yeah. the sense in the sense that it's it's a bit of a swan song. Sorry, go ahead, Mel. We should. I was just going to say we should probably do a roundup of you know the situation uh, and why it's still Holden versus Ford. You know the, the Gen Three vehicles that we reviewed this morning, Good which idea. is the next generation of supercars, uh, signals a shift from the Holden badge product to a Chevrolet Camaro. Uh, and that's the introduction of those cars on track won't happen until uh, the commencement of the 2023 season. So it's not just this year it'll be Holden versus Ford, it'll be next year as well. Um, mm. It's just the nature of the beast. Now, all the cars, I think only the Erebus has uh, switched to an Erebus badge instead of a Holden Lion. Oh, uh, really? But it comes down to how the cars were homologated. They're homologated with the Holden nose, Holden badge, you know, yes. circle in the middle of the grill, that sort of thing. Do you think yeah. the Erebus badge offers some kind of aerodynamic advantage, Mel? Do, could, there, could there be a challenge um, oh, in well, scrutineering? I haven't been down to uh, scrutineering yet, but it's it's high on my list. I'll be going past with my vernier calipers. Badge and, measurement, um, yeah, it's a huge one. Once they start picking and, on that. And and the seat of the pants vibe as well. It'll, uh, I'll be <laughs> yeah. employing it to full effect. Um, cool. So I'll keep you posted on that. But um, should we talk about Gen 3? Well, let's. Sure. I mean, because sure. I suppose what, um, Steve, not to steal your thunder too much, but one of the big things that captures my imagination with Gen 3 is that it was uh, partially created to allow cars to be a little closer to, to a road-type car, open up the option of coupe-type type bodies as well, which then opens the door to other brands, does it not? Yeah, yeah. So I guess in terms of just a, like a brief background, you know, like they've just had the big reveal of these cars only a few hours ago um you know just to everyone you know i'm up here uh, you know covering the sport for, for uh, especially a publication called speedcafe.com so uh, if you really want to deep dive into this sort of information that's available but yeah the, the broad brush strokes are can you also get a can you also get a coffee at that cafe I don't you can, but okay. um, it's a, just a fast coffee just yeah, asking coffee. just asking um, yep but uh Broad brushstrokes, like you say, it's a coupes that, you know, the, the thing is sticking around. Um, but I think, you know, one of the big criticisms of the current Mustang is that it is, looks more like, you know, an old fashioned sports sedan than a Mustang. You know, the glass house has kind of become, uh, you know. The current one. Yeah, the current one is, is very, yeah, different. Uh, and the nose, the nose is kind of truncated and it, yeah, it, proportionally it's not quite right. Yeah, because they're trying to fit a roll cage that was designed for a four-door sedan, like the Falcon, uh, into a coupe body. And so it, 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 it hurt the, the, the aesthetic appeal of that car. Um, but they also wanted to bring in uh, the Camaro, the Chevy yeah. Camaro, because obviously they wanted something to replace the ZB Commodore. Um, of the Chevy Camaro isn't available here anymore. HSV only sold it for a very limited time. Um so, and know, it's it's its shelf life is in question globally as well, isn't very, it? Very even even in so. the US market, yeah, very much so. But uh, it, what it has done is allowed uh, GM Australia uh, to uh, replace you know what is currently known as Holden Motorsport with effectively replace it with Chevrolet Racing as kind of a, 
I guess, sort of an overarching brand that will allow them to keep promoting their brands in Australia, like GMSV, which will be selling the Chevrolet Corvette, the Chevrolet Silverados. Um, yep. It will yep. also allow them to do some stuff like you, there's already branding like from AC Delco, which is their um, servicing business, uh, holding general yep. parts. You know, obviously there is some talk that AC Delco uh, will, you know, could replace sort of the holding service centers that, that we know. So they can become multi-brand. General Motors, which, which is a typically reach. the only place you'll see the holding brand these days is on yeah. the service centers because yeah. they're honoring warranties for the well, I, I suppose that yeah. raises under warranty a, for a long time to come. That raises a question, um, in my mind anyway. When people were buying an HSV, they were buying an HSV. When people buy a GMSV, they're buying a Chevrolet, or are they buying a GMSV? I mean, who who takes responsibility or accountability for things like warranty and, and service? Well, I think that, and that is going to be Chevrolet, or really because they're over at the top of it all is, is General Motors Australia New Zealand, right? There is yeah, a, yeah. There is an umbrella company that I guess. Gotcha. Yep. I think one of the interesting things with uh, GM in Australia is now I don't know from from my perspective, it certainly seemed like they wanted to like stop talking about Holden as, as quickly as possible, but a big part of uh, what they've talked about today with with the unveiling the new car and unveiling. Um, Chevrolet racing is they do want to sort of leverage what they're calling Holden heritage, which they're sort of keeping uh, the brand and that identity. Because I think, you know, I think there is still a lot of people, particularly, you know, you at, at a race like this, that do love Holden and they want to, you know, buy T-shirts and hats with Holden on it. You know, they can't buy a car. But well, Steve, Steve you, made, you made the point in your story. Why is it that um, relatively recent HSV models are pulling a million dollars in in the classic, you know, collector car market because people feel strongly about Holden and HSV more recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can see, yeah, definitely. It's a great point Like that the the market for these cars, you know, I think some of it is sentimentality, but, and, and obviously now rarity because there's no more being made, but there's also a deep love for it, right? You don't buy a car because a lot of those cars are being bought as investment pieces, you have to know that someone's going to want to buy it in the future, right? And so, you, sure. So, there's a, I think there's a confidence in the market there that people are going to care about Holden long after it's gone. You know, even if they do change the dealership, the, the service center space in Delco, people will still Can I, have an affection for Holden. I, I've got a counterpoint to that. I mm-hmm. think that as the values increase, uh, the you know what what's left of the schoolyard enthusiasm will also be forced to sort of accelerate its evaporation because, you know, if if a VH Commodore six-cylinder SL is a $20,000 car, you're just not going to aspire to, to owning it. Um, so, you know, I think at the top end of town, yeah, like there'll be love and, you know, for those who can afford it, but I don't know. Definitely. No, I, I think know. that's true. I it's, think that's It's true. turning me off. Like, I don't think, oh, gee, I'll go get a, you know, VPSS anymore because, you know, they're all $30,000 plus. Yeah. It's insane. So, I know, you know that I, there are better cars for $30,000. Yeah. Well, see, I wrote that story recently looking, you know, speaking to some, you know, uh, I guess experts within the sort of the, the classic car market where, where they said, look, certainly that top end, those million-dollar HSVs, you know, the, the bottom probably won't fall out of that market. They are now very desirable, collectible cars. Mm. But, yeah, the idea of buying a yeah, $30,000 40-year-old Commodore probably optimistic you know could, could people, i people will age out could i throw another element into the mix here um, and it's relevant to what we're talking about in terms of bathurst um those 
Commodores, those HSVs, are those Falcons, the really desirable ones are V8s. So Gen, Gen 3, um, maybe, Steve, yeah. you could talk a little bit about uh, the fact that we're going to have V8 engines, but they're of a slightly different stripe. Yeah, so the, the, the big thing with Gen 3, like, yeah, just to really get to the, to the heart of it, is it's about taking it back. Like we were saying about the Mustang, it's, it's, it doesn't, the current Mustang doesn't look like a Mustang, really. The new one that they've just revealed is, probably see some pictures of if you look in this on, on YouTube, is it looks like a Mustang. You know, mm. it's got a much smaller wing. It's got a smaller front end. The, the key panels, you know, bonnet, boot, roof, can all be effectively be interchangeable. They're not, they're, they're made of, of, of you know, composite and, material for cost, but... And we both got up close and personal with them this yeah. morning. And, you know, right up close, those headlight apertures are now, you know, you look like yeah. you can plug in a production headlight if you want to. The bonnet looks yeah, like a production bonnet, even though it's composite, I believe. Yeah, um, it's just blistered wheel arches, really. Yeah, they basically pump the guards, right? Pump the guards, put a wheel on, which, quite frankly, you could do. You know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be blokes who will make a kit for it that'll make it look, you know, they, they don't look a million miles away from a car you could, you know, if you really wanted to, drive on the road. You know, it's probably like a little yeah. bit too low. You probably want to get a little bit more ride height on the front split. But apart from that, like you could, you could chuck yep. one of these wings on the back, you know? Like, and I think that that will give... That will give the sport, uh, you know, get, get back to that kind of appeal. And one of the other big things I think we've got to point out is the engines. The engines are no longer, uh, you know, the engines they currently use have basically been the same engines they've used since the, you know, 93 when this category got introduced, a five-litre V8 that is basically specific, you know, bespoke racing engines. Just are, a little bit on the expensive side. That are, you know, they're engineered to within an inch of their life, you know. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, even though they're still push rods, they're still yeah. 180 grand for an engine, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, but these new engines, the, the Mustang will run a, a Coyote-based 5.4-litre. The, the Camaro will run a 5.7-litre that's based on the same engine in, in the road car. So it is really LT1 too, so the latest generation yeah. of small block VR. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the parity comes about through the smaller Ford engine being a 4-cam uh, yes. and four-valve, um, and the uh, Chevy engine being a two-valve and single overhead cam for bank. Yes. But and, with and an extra 300 cc. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's got the, and the thing is, one of the things, you know, I guess you could say, you know, positive from the, all the delays they've had is that, and, you know, pushing it back to 2023, uh, is they will spend the better part of next year Testing oh, these cars yeah. together. You know, supercars yes. has led this development. This isn't Ford Performance and Chevrolet have been involved, but supercars in Australia has really uh, sort of taken the lead on trying to engineer these cars with their with the respective teams. Triple Eight has done the the, the Chevy and, and DJR has done the Ford. Um, but but it'll give them a year to really try and equalize these cars. You know, I think. Did you not make the point in your story as well, Steve, that not only are they cheaper to purchase, but they don't need rebuilding quite so often, that they've got better durability and duration in terms of um, the race miles you can put on them? Yeah, that's another big key they're trying to do is, is really extend the life. You know, they want to try and get it up to 5,000 and eventually even out to as much as 10,000 kilometres between major rebuilds because that has been a huge, huge cost. To this like I said, they're engineered to such a degree where they were, you know, uh, changing you know valves every session yes wow just just really like overdoing everything yeah um and spending money they probably really didn't need to be spending that didn't really improve the show 
it's almost like you get, irrespective of Holden's departure from the scene, um, it's almost like you get to a point inevitably in any race category where the budget gets out of control because the teams with lots of money start to do all of that investment. They develop to a, develop to a point where the front of the grid's miles away from the back and there needs to be a reset. Like, okay, yeah. hold on, everyone. We're going to change things up so that the, the lesser teams can afford to be more competitive. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I just sat in a press conference here with Triple H plus Roland Day, who, who made the point uh, motor racing is not a charity and the best teams will still win. You know, yeah. they, they, will, they will just do a better job. They'll have better drivers, better engineers. They will just make, they'll all have the same toys, but they will make theirs get, perform better. So yes. that's a reality of it. But it will, it should in theory, you know, Supercars has, to their credit, has tried to make this. Uh, fan friendly, you know, they're bit, they are yep. still big, loud V8s. They are, yep. they are, do look more like production cars. And you know, the aerodynamic package, which you know, has really got, I mean, you look at the the Ford Mustang in, in your background there, that huge rear wing, you know, the rear wing is massive, you know, yeah, it's, no. it's like it doubles the length of the like the rear, like almost as wide as this. Well, we, we were talking yesterday, so oh, we were oh. talking. Sorry, Mel, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's not forget the ZD one. It looks like something Airbus put together. Yeah. Well, um, I, I was... You and I were talking... Yeah, only yesterday, Steve, we were saying that, you know, NASCAR is in uh, a broadly similar kind of mode, trying to make the cars more approachable um, from, from punters in the street. Um, and I wonder, realistically, both of you guys... Um, Okay, in NASCAR, you've got a rear-wheel drive V8 Camry. Um, how, how are we going to go with a Supra, with maybe the new Z car, maybe other brands? It's been talked about so much, and yes, we had Volvo and Erebus brought in their AMG connection, which was kind of a non-sanctioned effort there for a while. Yep. Um, Nissan, of course. What do you think Volvo. with the Gen 3? Uh, Volvo, of course. Do you, do you think Gen 3 stands a chance of, of getting that diversity happening? Yeah, that is such a hard question to answer. The interesting thing is there's been businesses this year that uh, they have been talking to a European manufacturer who's shown interest, but today uh, Supercar CEO Sean Cena said they're not currently talking to anyone. Uh, they really want to sort of get these two cars out, show them off, demonstrate what the category now is, you know, yep. what it's going to be in 2023 and beyond, and then we'll try and go out there and members some new manufacturers. But yeah, I mean, it's... It's a challenge. You know, I, I actually would love to see the Supra and, and the Z. I think they would, they would both make the most sense. They're marketplace rivals to the Mustang. But they don't have V8s, and the sport is very much, we are going to be a V8 category. You know, That's does, right. Does Toyota even sell a V8 anymore? Like, yeah, yeah, good point. Mel, go for it. All right, okay. I'm going to kind of get on my soapbox here. But um, I think... I think Gen 3 is the right approach for now. I think they need to evolve the sport, embrace the fundamental elements of what's made the sport good, you know, relatively simple V8s that sound great, that relate to the Falcons and Commodores as closely as possible, um, that, you know, everyone was buying not that long ago. But I think that they need to recognise where the real tribalism and enthusiasm is these days in the new car market, and that's youths. Um, and I think, you know, Mustang and Camaro are right for now, And but I'd, I'd love to see someone putting a ute body on that chassis sometime in the future and look realistically to be 2024 at the earliest. But, you know, like 
it could happen. Um, parity would be an issue, but uh, have a look at the... Um, Steve and I have spoken about this many times, but have a look at the Argentina TC pickup series where it's, you know, the, the, the light utes that, that we like, including ranges, et cetera, that we buy in Australia over a space frame chassis broadly similar to uh, Gen 3 or Car of the Future. It can happen, but, uh, and I think they've got V8s in them too. In the, in the, Arge- in the Argentine... In the Argentine pickup series, Mel, is that happening in nightclubs later in the evening in um, Buenos Aires or, or they're actually at the race circuit? I, I think sorry, Mel, you'll see what I mean. mean. It's horrendously sexist. I apologise. Now, um, so I suppose although in Gen 2 period, Triple um, Eight tested a V6 twin turbo, um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Sound, it sounded great to my ears anyway. Um, and it looked as though it was it was propelling the car pretty effectively. I wonder if then you do get an augmentation once these two are bedded down, where that kind of configuration can happen. For sure, but the problem is once you add turbos to the mix, the the challenge of sort of creating parity among rival engines, you know, there's so many more dimensions of calibration and tuning. Yeah. Um, so many workarounds well, as well. I mean, for, put it put it this know, way, kind of parity based settings. Go back to Group A when Godzilla was dominant, you know, and, and it just was a car, a package, and no disrespect to Mark Scaife or Jim Richards or anyone else who drove them, but it was obviously a superior uh, kind of car. That's maybe just part of it. You, you can gun for parity all you like, but every now and then there's going to be a package that comes along that will be uh, yeah. just playing And quicker. it's still one, no matter how much weight they added to it, it's yeah. still an all-drive twin-turbo vehicle that offered – Technological options well beyond anything else in the field. Yeah. It's sort of interesting conundrum that, that supercars has faced in the last few years. What do you do? I mean, personally, yes, I have actually been on that uh, Ute soapbox myself. Uh, and I've written several stories about it because I think I think it, it speaks to what what touring car racing in the pre-supercar days was in Australia, which was really the cars that families drive and families are now driving use but obviously they haven't they haven't gone down that path they've gone down the path of coupes i think the idea of trying to attract a you know a mercedes or a bmw is going to be very very difficult but i think you know if you could get supra and or Z involved in some way shape, or if you could convince them to run a v8 which would be very sort of you know counter to the product in the market um I think it actually has the potential to tap into this market. Again, we've written stories about how you see these, these, these Japanese cars from the 90s and early 2000s that are booming, you know, like the HSVs that are selling for big bucks. People are buying, they're snapping up those GTRs and Supras and RX7s and, and, and old Zs. You, 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 guys, you guys haven't you haven't spotted Accio Toyota around the 86 uh, series, have you? Taken, taken no. a scoot? It'd, it'd be good um, to get him out here and have a, have a look at Bathurst. Well, funny you should say that, James. They've sponsored the Dipper this year. It's the Gazoo Dipper. So it's covered in Gazoo. Uh-huh. So Toyota, to me, actually makes the most sense. If, you said to, if, I, had to, if I had to place money on a, on a company that was going to get involved, Toyota's already involved in the 86 series, like we're just saying. They're trying to like, build that Gazoo racing brand. And what better way to show off wouldn't, how sporty suit Toyota is now than winning Mathis? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you're, you know, your top four competitors in the 86 series get a seat in a Supra in, you know, Super 2 or something, and then they step up into a, a, a supercar that's a Supra. That, that you have your little academy. That would be amazing. There's, there's a golden opportunity for a brand like, like Toyota. Um, 
obviously Nissan is, is is maybe a tricky one because they are trying to obviously push down. You know, that like their real future is probably electric SUVs, which is a bit counterintuitive. But so to me, like, but at the same time, they're launching Navara Warriors. They are launching Navara Warriors. You've still got like they've just introduced a new generation Z. They're mm. going to have a new GTR in the not too distant future. They still want to have what they've referred to as their Nissanness, um, mm. which is I guess the sporty aspect. So. You know, like I think there's potential for those brand, those cars. I think those cars, the Z and the Super, would both, you know, based on what we see today, Mal, you know, that would make good-looking Gen Three cars. You know, with, True. with that with that wing, that aero package on it, which is not a huge wing, but it, it kind of looks cool. It's a little bit of pumped-out guards. Like I think they would make great. It's looking good. Cars. I also reckon the new Range would make a good-looking Gen Three car. It's true. It's interesting to my eyes. The, the the Gen 3 Mustang looks a lot like the Group 4 Mustang that was getting around in, in some other um, categories. Uh, well, Group oh, 4, but GT, in some GT other... GT4. GT4, the GT4 yeah. sorry, GT4. there it was. Which, um, it which looks very, very much like that car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it looks great. Yeah. I, th- I think these cars look great. Look, I think the bottom line is these cars will look good, they'll sound good, they'll, they should hopefully race closely. Um, and that's what, that's what this category is really at its core... Is, is good, hard, close racing. So, uh, yes, talking of uh, close and fast racing, a good way to close out the discussion, I reckon, is to come up with tips for this year's uh, Bathurst 1000. Who do we think is going to win, but who's your roughie? Who's the outsider that that might just take it from the shadows? Okay. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer, I think, is, is Shane Gisbergen and Garth Tender. Uh, ben Gisbergen obviously just won his... The championship, he's in red hot form. Tanders a safe pair of hands as a co-driver. He's still really quick. Um, in terms of a roughie, I don't know if necessarily if they count as outsiders, uh, but I think Chad Bostet and Lee Holdsworth in the in the Walkinshaw and Walkinshaw Andretti United Commodore. Um, yep. You know they're a great team. Uh, you know Holdsworth is quick. That's his first year as a co-driver. He's been in the main game quite recently, so he's you know I think I think those two are. Yeah. Definitely, Great. You know, would not surprise me to see both of them on the podium. Good. Mal? Uh, I'd agree with uh, Otley pretty much universally, but uh, oh, wow. I, I, I think it's um, be unwise to discount uh, De Pasquale uh, because of his form at SMP. Um, there's the Ludo factor as well. The team, you know, has clear Bathurst provenance uh, in recent years. Um, but... Yeah, you know, as as we all know, these these big teams can seriously disadvantage their second, you know, either car by having to come in a double stack in the pits. Yes. Um. So, kind of, yeah, depends on how the, the race plays out. Cool. So it's not necessarily the fastest car wins. Okay. Well, thank you, Mel. I'll uh, round it out. I'm I'm not really closely wedded to the current supercar stuff. However, so I'm going for a, a, a sentimental choice. I want. And I think Win Cup and Lounge might uh, might win. Yeah. Um, and I've always liked James Courtney because I just think he's a he's a quirky kind of bloke. Um, so I think he and Thomas Randall, um, Tickford Mustang, um, and you know Thomas Randall. I think correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. He's going to run in supercars uh, yeah. next year. Yeah. He's the Super Two champion. Um, he's done very well so far. So he's they're also, they're my also outsiders. To, also, to his credit, one important thing I think to note about. Thomas Randall is his, his cancer survivor quite recently. You know, he's, he's had he's had he's had a few thrown his way, and he's he's overcome them. And yeah, so 
There you uh, go. Yeah, great to see, great to see those blokes. Yeah, and he's he's shown his uh, talents in the wildcard entries this year as well. Like whilst whilst sick, whilst yep. relocated in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. I think that explains why he looked as proud as Punch when he unveiled the livery for his uh, 2022 car. I think he's yeah. got some Castrol backing, and he just looked like he was on top of the world. So that adds extra context to that. I'm sure he's feeling doubly good. That's yeah. uh, that's great. All right. Let's see how that pans out um, over the weekend. But now we'll move from the pit garage to our garage and reasonably rapidly, let's call it a thumbnail overview of the cars that we've been driving this week. And I would like to start with you, Mal. And it's a different kind of sport. You've been playing golf. Please tell us about it. I've been playing golf. Uh, I finally managed to drive a regular Mark 8 Golf. Uh, you know, we had a lot of challenges this year with uh, a few months off, etc. Um, but uh, I, this week I had a, finally had a steer of the Golf Life, uh, which is the mid-spec model. These days it's around $35,000, uh, which should point out is about $12,000 cheaper than the, the Honda Civic, the new Honda Civic is. Yeah. Um, but, like, straight away... It is still an outstanding product uh, and offers refinement, just general kind of look and feel refinement that is better than so many luxury cars, uh, right. you know, up to and beyond $200,000. It is still, you know, wow. the initial perception is that it's a, it's a fine, fine product, but in a mainstream, smart, clever, everyday package. Um, the, um, the advertising rights itself, doesn't it? Get a life. You'd have to be. <laughs> but, like, to me, um, I think it was unwise to expect as big a jump between Mark 7 and Mark 8 uh, as we saw with, between Mark 6 and Mark 7. Yep. Because, um, you know, it's the same platform. But yeah. I think the car still represents a benchmark for its class and uh, automotive in general in many ways. There you go. Oh, Is that quick enough? That's very good. It's interesting, you know, that it, you say it's, it's sort of it's not a huge leap forward because it sort of speaks to the fact that the uh, ID three was kind of is kind of the focus. That was the big the big engineering push. That you know the dollars and cents went more towards that because the golf is, is maybe yesterday's Volkswagen and, and the ID three is, is tomorrow's. Yep. Yep. All right. That's good. That's perfect. Thank you, Mel. Now a similarly uh, uh, brief overview from you, Steve. You've been in something quite different. Yes, I've been driving the new Land Rover Defender 90, so the shorter, uh, stubbier version. Um, and it is basically, you know, as expected, I think just the current thing, like the new Defender is, you know, a little bit like a, feels like a Discovery, you know, with a different with a different look. Um, but I love the look. I think it looks I love it too. I couldn't I agree love more. It. I love it. Love the exterior, but also love the interior. I think they've done a really interesting job on the cabin. It is quite like the I've got a like a lower grade model, so it's got just, you know big basic plastic in the center, you know, between the front seats. You know, so right. you can dump stuff. You know, if you're out, you know, four driving or whatnot. Um, uh, you know, it's but it's it's it still feels like a very capable off roader, but it's also like I drove to Bathurst in it, just cruise down the highway. Unreal. It's really easy to live with. So yeah, I mean, I think that. It's no surprise to me that the new Defender massively outsells the old Defender. Cool. Mal? Uh, I, I was also very surprised by the Defender 90 in that it didn't feel like the short wheelbase. And okay. I, I think it's because it's not that short a wheelbase. It's, it's, a, not, it's not 90 inches anymore. It's, yeah. it's uh, longer and, than that. Yeah. 
Well, the, 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 the 110, the four-door one, is on a very long wheelbase for the size of vehicles. So the 90 is still on, you know, an appropriate wheelbase. So yeah. it's a surprisingly capable car. It's not a novelty car like it used to be. Anyway, and, um, Steve, steel rims or alloy on that one? Uh, they're alloy. Okay, because yeah. I love so the steelies. Base, but, base base, yeah. I love the steelies on the, uh, on the very base model. Um, just yeah, for yeah, all right. That's cool. Thank you. I'll have another similarly rapid go. Uh, this time, Kona N. So Hyundai Kona N. Um, I spoke recently about the i30N. This one's based on the Kona. So the Kona's got this split personality. You've got your standard petrol or diesel. You've got your electric now. You've got this sporty one. It's, it's all things to all people. Um, it's just under 50 grand, two litre turbo four. It's front wheel drive, but it's got a really tricky electronic limited slip diff in it. Um, it's got plenty of power. It's only quite small, 4.2 metres long. There's nothing quite like it uh, for the well, price. Except for the, except for the i30N, which is basically the same. Well, that's true. The power there could be but a little yeah. bit of internal can- cannibalisation. Yeah. But, um, but yes. ha- having driven it, it's, it's got adaptive dampers. Um, it's able to do that um, uh, tightrope walk between dynamic performance and comfy ride when you want it, and it does that pretty well. Um, that limited slip diff works really well. It steers nicely, electric steering, and it's an SUV, it's a little SUV. It's quite practical. But to me, it still poses that question. It's that counterintuitive task of making a high-riding SUV handle like a low-slung sports car. Um, and there's just one little quirk. It's got these three little racy nostrils. You know, it's trying to echo a, yeah. a Ferrari 250 uh, GTO. Well, or two, like, something like, it looks like the old original Audi Quattro. Well, they're just little plastic fake panels. Um, they, they, those they don't go. When I went up to them, ah, oh, damn, that's disappointing because I really I love the look of it, um, yeah. but I was just disappointed by that. But anyway, it's it it actually does that that job yeah. pretty well. It, it it's good dynamically. You do make a good point that there isn't there isn't really anything like there will be soon. Volkswagen will launch a T Rock T Rock R. I think that compact like hot SUV market I think is going to be interesting to watch. I think it'll be interesting to see particularly how. The Kona and the, and the T-Roc yeah. in terms of, I think it's a, it's a potential there. Particularly, like, you know, as we see, uh, you know, we see small cars probably fade away in the next, you know, particularly in the next decade, but yeah. in the next half decade, you know, I think we'll probably see more of these sort of performance SUVs, which we've seen in the luxury end of the market, the high-end stuff, your Audi SQ5s and BMW XBMs and things. But, and we've yeah. also seen it historically with the likes of the Subaru Forester GT and XTs. Like they had that that sort of niche to themselves, and they've got a quite a cult following. I suppose but it hasn't the really it, taken off in the mainstream. Thing about the T Rock R is it'll be dearer. It'll it, you know best guess is it might be as much as 10 k dearer. Who knows? But it's all wheel drive, and it's got the the full race face on. Whereas I think this Kona is just a bit of fun um, around the city. It's not quite as as serious and full blown as that T Rock R might be. Yeah, no, I think it, yeah, but I, I think it's a fun. It is. I've driven it too, and I think it is a fun car. And I think that's yeah. really the key with a car like that. Is yeah. it's not necessarily trying to be the fastest car in the world, but it's trying to be fun. Yep, know, and, I think and it is. Tick that box. It is. All right, now that's good, guys. Thank you. We're now going to move to a feedback Bathurst special edition, and we're going to go for the three places on the to- uh, podium. The uh, the three pieces of feedback that I've chosen will will go for a winner um, at the end. Now, on the third step of the podium, I have Paul Victor, and he says, "I know you guys are disappointed about no hybrid or electric yet for the new Ranger, and we were talking about new Ranger last week, uh, but I think lithium is not renewable and should get used in essential applications like phones and things." 
I predict electric vehicles are going to be the most short-lived technology. Once hydrogen's up and running, it'll kill off electric vehicles immediately. It's greener, more realistic in Australia with the vehicle uh, distances uh, vehicles and trucks have to travel and better for the environment. Now, I think that's a really interesting point on, for two reasons. Yes, lithium is a limited resource and it's typically mined from fairly delicate areas environmentally, which is something that tends to fly under the radar. But also, rewind 100 years and electric cars were in a real uh, arm wrestle with internal combustion cars as to who would win the day and petrol just turned out to be more uh, convenient and more uh, efficient in terms of getting cars down the road. But if, if um, you know, hydrogen uh, fuel cell type vehicles do become broadly popular, it could be that electric is this small kind of period on the way to something a little more sustainable. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, uh, I've been impressed with hydrogen cars. All the hydrogen cars I've driven, I think, are quite interesting. And I think certainly there is appeal uh, locally, like you said. I mean, we do drive big distances generally, not yeah. everywhere. Um, but they don't design cars. I mean, as we discussed, there is no holding. There's no Australian car company. They don't build cars just for Australia. They build cars for the world. And if you look at Europe and their demands of, of car makers and same with the US and, and China, which are the biggest markets, they are sort of pushing down this electric path. And you see far more manufacturers working on electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles. So It's true. You know, I suppose it's lithium part of the- Lithium's not the only option either. There's a lot of work going into options beyond lithium that, that are solid, you know, solid state and all of that. More yeah. sustainable, well, you know, yeah. I think if you look more at appropriate. The, yeah, well, you look at Stellantis's proposal for electric vehicles, I think there was a lot of, like, nickel-based uh, batteries they, were, they wanted to use. You know, for, they weren't really clear on their reasoning, whether it was, yep. you know, the impact of lithium or simply a cost. But, um, yep. All right. That's good. It is an interesting point. Um, now, second step. Uh, you know, second, first of the losers, or a very close to the winner, uh, Kenneth Kenneth Prosac. I'm going to say P-R-O-C-A-K, Prosac, Prosac. Um, how many ECUs to fail now? I understand, understand you need electric steering, a lot of other rubbish because of stupid government vehicle safety legislation, but these new utes are too complicated to be reliable. It's why 20-year-old 4x4s, if not rusted out, demand $30,000 plus in the market, you have an old 4 by 4 you hang on to it. Um, I don't know whether you can get a 20-year-old uh, 4 by 4 commanding 30 grand. Um, I'd take exception with that, but... Um, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> can you? All right. Oh, there's lots of land cruises. I suppose... Uh, I suppose with a lot of that. All right. Well, what do you, what do you guys think? A 4.2-litre GU patrol. It, put, it puts me in mind of where, you know, International Harvester in the States was, was making buyers of their new products, tractors particularly, sign a contract that said, you're not going to work on it. Um, you're, it. It has to come back to us for service because you just will ruin it if you try and have a go. And there is a strong market for 10-year-old completely restored tractors because people want to work on their own tractor. And International Harvester is sort of dumbing down the tech somewhat so that they don't, they're not in that position. It's, it's gone a step too far. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember my, my granddad, who was an engineer uh, by trade, had an old, like, Nissan Pulsar, like, my whole, my whole childhood, his whole, the whole end of his life, because it was mechanical. It was a mechanical car, you know, so he could work on it. He was like, oh, I was working on myself, yep. you know. And so I think there are, you know, certain people that do that. I mean, obviously... Uh, 
there's probably a limited audience these days. I think more and more people are just, yeah, just take it to the dealership. But um, yeah, certainly modern cars are yeah, very, very good. I th- it feels like they might be a bit more of a disposable item. I mean, if if you if you have a car that you like and you want to ha- you love this Ranger and you want to pass it down through the family and it, and it has a life ongoing. It just feels like some of the bits, the electrical bits, I, I agree, they're not going to live a long life. But people generally don't want them to. Like, you know, I've got four ancient vehicles in my garage, but mm. people, have, you know, Australia's arrived at a point where we don't want to wait 10 years between upgrading yeah. a vehicle. We, every three years we want a new car, and that's, that's you know, very... Um, You've actually you've actually Luxury. got the original the original Flintstone car too, haven't you, Mal? Complete with that um, ledge on the side for the Brontosaurus ribs. Yeah, and you fixed what, the hole in the floor. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to top step of the podium: laurel wreath around the neck. Um, Bazaar 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 Adventures. I wonder how the roadside assistance crews will handle electric cars that run out of charge. Will they carry a generator around? And our, our old mate Hammer Rock said tow truck. De Cook said that in Germany, there's actually a trial of bicycles with a trailer where people will just pedal out to wherever you're broken down with a generator or some kind of power source on the back. And I've seen others in the States uh, where vans fitted with uh, a high voltage charger will come out and give you enough juice just to get to you, you know, to where you need to go. So that is increasingly a thing. There will be mobile generators. Yeah, I reckon it's a good time to get the flatbed market. Yeah. <laughs> that, was that was an interesting idea that, that, that I haven't seen any other brand do is Rivian has uh, tow charging. So you basically, right. I've seen it, they did it, uh, it featured heavily in that, uh, that documentary series, The Long Way Up, which had Ewan McGregor and his mate, the, the actor Ewan McGregor run his electric motorbikes. And they had Rivian support vehicles. And ah. one of the things they did was that you could like hook up to a truck, like they did it with these Rivians where they just couldn't get it to a charge. You'd hook up to a truck, they'd pay the truck a year, and you'd drive 15 minutes this way, and then you'd tow them 15 minutes back, and you'd get like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour's worth of charge. I see. Towing yeah. the car. So, yeah. Now, if that's an option, yeah, it's going to be, let's, let's just else. say it's going to be an interesting space yeah. um, because, you, yeah, yeah, it's either a flatbed or it's some innovative way of banging a, a decent charge in there reasonably quickly. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, look, with that, we have reached the finish line, although Bathurst is yet the to start. Flag, dare I say. We've reached the checkered flag. Thank you, James. Mel. I think, Steve, you're looking at the finish line, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> over the, over oh, the start. I was a little bit distracted because there are supercars running past. Sorry, uh, sorry, audience. This is time, experimental, remember. Time to say thank you, Mel, and, uh, and thank you, Steve. Thank you, James and Steve. And thanks to our Bond villain in training, certified genius and chief chair tester, Mr. Pritchard, for his effortless podcast production wizardry. Uh, Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, today's forecast, lazy with a 90% chance of Netflix. Musical pants and CD boombox sneakers. They are extraordinary. Um, jump into the conversation, Cars Guides on feed, uh, Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. 
But before we go, um, our son had his provisional license, uh, you know, confiscated for speeding. Uh, it's always been his problem. He's a fast learner. On theme, 